As we get started this morning, you're going to notice uh, on the outside of the rows on these, and then right here on the left side, there's a cup underneath that. It's like a white cup. It's got pins and uh, an index card in it. So as we get started, I would encourage everybody to grab a pin and an index card. Um, I even got you guys grid paper index cards, so you can thank me later. Uh, I don't know if you geek out on grid paper as much as I do but I think that it is just some of the super coolest stuff in the whole wide world. As you're getting your paper and your pens, uh, I'm curious if you could put a guess on what the most coveted superpower is. So if you're like, man, if I could pick any superpower that I could ever dream up or imagine, I would pick this superpower. Now, and back in March, there was a firm or an agency that actually did poll over 3,000 different Americans from ages 18 and older from all 50 states, and they wanted to find out who had, what was the most popular superpower in America. Uh, the survey revealed two powers that reigned supreme, teleportation and healing. So the ability to move yourself at any time, anywhere, without moving yourself, which is pretty cool, it's like, beam me up, Scotty, only you don't need Scotty, you just do it yourself. And then healing, which is fun because healing genuinely would require somebody else. And so it would show that we have a bit of uh, awareness of the folks and needs around us. But before we get too far into that idea, uh, the survey revealed some other things, like three out of five people confess that they would use their power for themselves before anybody else including friends and family. 47% uh, of Gen Z generation would use their power for malicious intent, like cheating on a test or stealing something from a grocery store. Um, and then a couple other fun stats. 80% of people did say they would use their power for good, right? Um, exactly 0.4%, so 0.4 of 1%, said they would be a villain. They would absolutely go like uber evil. <laughs> like, so that's kind of fun. And then 19.7%, about 20% said that they would do it both good and evil. Um, so man, um, I'm curious, and take a moment, what superpower would you want? Grab the pen, grab the card, and on one side, just write to yourself, man, like what superpower would you want? So like for me, I would want to be able to like, have a strawberry shake appear in my hand whenever I had the desire for one. That's a really goofy power. I love strawberry shakes, so it's like, there it is. But yeah, it's like, like, wouldn't it be funny if you were like, if it just kind of happened, whether you were thinking about it or not, and like, I, whatever. Um, so what is your superpower? Um, we're in a series called Running on Empty. And we're leveraging a very familiar icon to all of us, and that is our phone battery or our technological battery. Whether it's a phone or an iPad or a watch, we really have an idea of what we can get out of that particular technological item by seeing how much battery is left. So when it's that sliver of red, uh, we might get a little bit anxious. If it's nice and full and green, we know we can do pretty much whatever we want with it. We don't happen to have, though, for ourselves, an equally clear indicator that would notify us, right? Like um, when it's time to recharge, 
so what this service is, what this, what this service, what this series is not about, it's not about recharging so much. Uh, what we're looking to accomplish and kind of center ourselves on for the month of August as we gather together here um, is to connect more of our core self to more of the Holy Spirit, right? Through intentional rhythms of surrender and rest and abiding and releasing. Like we're asking the question, man, what might God do in us? And what might he do through us if we allow what he has placed inside of us to make its way to the surface? So with that in mind, I want to encourage you to to turn over your card and we'll begin with this spiritual prompt this morning, man. Can you name a truth or a trait of God that you want to see surface in you? And you don't have to answer right away, but can you, maybe, maybe even at the top of the, at the, of the index card, just write truth or trait. Like, what is it about God that you want to see surface in you? I don't think I'm out of line in saying that, that God wants it to surface in us even more than we do. There's a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a full chapter of a prayer uh, in John 17, but he concludes with these words as he wraps up the prayer. Uh, it's right here, John 17. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples, they know that you sent me, and I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Isn't that a beautiful promise? I'll continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Paul says something similar in his letter to the Ephesians. So here's Ephesians. He's praying over the Ephesian church, praying over those that will read the letter. He says, I pray that God will grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ himself may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width the height and the depth of God's love. May we know, the next slide, I don't have it memorized. There we go. And to know Christ's love that actually surpasses knowledge. And look at that last phrase. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It just speaks so plainly of how God has planted and worked something in us. And we are looking at what it would be like to connect with that on a greater level and allow it to surface in new ways. What we're after in this series is to see that deeper connection and this greater fullness find new expressions in our lives. Last week, we looked at thankful. Like, what does it look like uh, to not only have, like, a, a heart that is grateful, but to be able to have, like, a lens where we see, you know, God's appreciation for all things, his ability to speak value and truth and encouragement into any and all things. This week, we're going to look at graceful or merciful. 
I'm putting the two of them together because it's just like kind of like a, a great uh, coin, a most treasured, beautiful coin. They are two sides of the same coin uh, because it is by far the most treasured and beautiful gift of God, his grace and his mercy. Um, mercy being the withholding of the penalty that we deserve and the grace being the giving of the beautiful gifts and love that we do not Deserve. So we're going to look at two spots this morning, two stories where Jesus talks about mercy and grace. We Matthew 18 and Luke 15. So if you would, put a finger in Matthew 18 and also in Luke 15. And, and as we begin this morning, can I just reiterate to you all how wonderfully amazing God is. How wonderfully amazing God is. He's absolutely stunning. And in his patient and deep love for us, and it's truly inspiring, I hope that as we spend some time together in his word today, man, that we're going to draw on these pillars of grace and mercy that will connect on a new level with what he pours over us, what he puts into us, and then even gives us to give to others. I want to look at this um, I want to look at this scripture in Psalm 145. Let's just jump to that. Old Testament, we see it throughout the Bible. The Lord is merciful. God is compassionate. He's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone, and he showers compassion on all of his creation. The Lord is good to everyone. What we read here is always true of him. It's true of him right now. It was true of him in 1972. It'll be true of him two weeks from now and after the first Cowboys win of the year. It's the Saints. I just showed that I'm from Texas. Anyway, I don't even like the Cowboys. Um, Okay, so um, it's true of him all the time. This is not true of me all the time, right? If it were about me, it would say, Alan is occasionally merciful, He's, he's known to be compassionate, right? Um, there are moments where he's incredibly quick to get angry. Um, and he's filled with various forms of love. Uh, Alan's good to most everybody. And he showers compassion on those things when it comes to... I, I, you can just begin... Like, as you start to insert yourself into that, you begin to see the amazing difference between the beauty and consistency and wonder of God and our need of him and the gift that we have in him. So let's look at mercy first, Matthew 18. So in Matthew 18, Jesus has just told the disciples like how to handle a situation when a person of faith, when a fellow believer uh, has had some kind of wrong against you, they've sinned against you. And right as that conversation ends, Peter asks this question, right? He says, he says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And there, what I would say, Jesus is saying, this isn't like an action that we do, it's a thing that we are. 
And then he tells the story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And 10,000 talents, as many of you know, uh, is a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, like, it's like monopoly money in wheelbarrows. Like, it's millions upon millions upon millions. And there's just no way that he could repay it. And it says, he did not have the means to repay. So the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. And the slave fell on the ground and like laid himself out before him. And he said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii or owed him, you know, about a couple thousand dollars. So very much minuscule in comparison to his own debt. And he seized him, and he began to choke him. And he says, pay back what you owe. And so his fellow slave, man, he fell to the ground. And he began to plead with him, saying, man, please have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison and should pay back what is owed. Now, I want to, I want to go back and, and, and highlight a couple of things in these verses. But before we do that, I think the most clear and concise way I could summarize the story is this. God wants to settle matters, and we want what's owed to us. God wants to settle matters, and we want what's owed to us. So let's go back and look at verse 23, and you can see it. Yeah, there we go, right? Let's go back and look at verse 23. So in verse 23... For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who is to settle accounts with his slaves. So we see it right there. Right? As he begun to settle them, like God's heart, God's endeavor, God's work in this space and in this story is whatever it is between us, let's get it figured out and over with so that it's no longer in between us. That was like God's posture. That's the, the king's work in this story. And as he is in that work of settling accounts, you know, putting whatever debts or disagreements are among us aside, he comes across a man who owes him a lot of money, All right? And we see that in verse 27. What does he do? The Lord of that slave felt compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. What's really important about this particular, well, I say important, it's fun. Uh, the word compassion there, felt compassion, it's used, I believe, 11 or 12 times in the New Testament. Uh, and each time, it's either describing Jesus as he has an action towards somebody, or it's a story that Jesus tells where he talks about, like, the heart and character of God. So, for example, when he's feeding the 5,000, it says he looks out upon the 5,000, and he sees that they are sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion for them. So it uses this very verb to describe Jesus' heart as he's here on earth, and then Jesus uses it to describe himself, like, and the Lord as he tells these stories. So he had compassion. He released and forgave the debt. And then in verse 28, the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves. He seized him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe. And that phrase right there in verse 30 is the one that just really, it helps me see when I'm out of sync with the Lord. Right? 
he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison. So we can see, like, as we look at those few things, where God's heart is reconciliation. God's heart is settling accounts. And in this story, this particular servant, his heart was out to get the stuff that belonged to him. So as I look at verse 30 and kind of take all these things into my heart, Again, that phrase, he was unwilling, it just jumps off the page at me. And so I began to ask myself the question, where am I unwilling? And why am I unwilling? Because that will really, if we answer those questions, when we sense that, we'll know, okay, so I'm out of step with God's grace. I'm out of step with God's mercy. Why? Because why is just as important, right? Like, what is it that I have to work with? What does I have to deal with? What does I have to dismantle or attend to so that the matter is settled? Because that's the heart of God. That's the mercy of God. God's mercy says, I don't care how much you owe me. I want you more than I want what's owed me. I want relationship with you. I'll figure out what's owed. We'll figure that out. I'll, I'll take care of that. I want relationship with you. I'll cancel the debt. I'll release you. I'll forgive it. I want relationship with you. And so whenever I find myself unwilling in relationship, I want to ask these questions. All right. Now, grace. Jump over to Luke 15 with me. In Luke 15, we see Jesus teaching on grace. Luke 15, in verse 1, it begins with uh, the, the, like, I don't know, like, like kind of just the, the, lays the scene out for us. There are people, Pharisees and the religious elite, who notice that notorious sinners and tax collectors were often gathering around Jesus and listening to him teach. I love that it says notorious sinners. Like, I'm trying to think, like, if we were to write down, like, a list of seven or eight notorious sinners, I'm curious who we would come up with. But like they were like, these people are notorious sinners, right? Like we, we might have, uh, that would be fun. Anyway, but that's the very thing that it talks about. Jesus is hanging out with notorious sinners. And so when he is challenged by the Pharisees and the religious elite for who he hangs out with, when he is confronted about who he spends time with, Jesus tells a story of grace. He actually tells three stories. He tells the first story about the sheep and the shepherd. There's 100 sheep, one gets lost, he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And in that story, he says that just as that shepherd will celebrate when he brings the one back, so as it is in heaven. There's more celebration for one than there is the 99. And he talks another very similar story about a lady who loses a coin. She has 10 coins, she loses one coin, and she turns the house upside down to find the coin. And so in those two stories, Jesus begins to really showcase his pursuit. When he's confronted about who he's been in time with, he says, look, I'm after the ones that are lost. I'm after the ones who need the light. And then it says, right in the middle of 15, before the story we're going to look at, to illustrate the point further. And he tells the story of the prodigal son, probably a story that's very familiar to us all. And again, it's a story. 
It's fictitious, um, but it's told to illuminate to us the incredible grace of God. Two sons and a dad, and the younger son asks for his inheritance before his dad passes. The dad agrees. He divides them up. He gives the older son his money and the younger son his money. He divides his estate. The younger son runs off and spends all of it living his best life. He gets to the end of his money and his inheritance, and a famine hits. Now he's out of money, and he's out of place because he's in a completely different country. Uh, he persuades a citizen to hire him to, like, feed pigs. And he's so hungry, and he's so out of place that the stuff that he's feeding the pigs is actually looking pretty appetizing. And it says that then he's like, what is going on? And he has this moment of, like, awakening where he's like, man, back home? Like, this ain't how it is. Like, all of my dad's workers, they have more than enough. There's plenty. And so he devises this plan. I'm going to go home. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm sorry. I sinned against you and I sinned against God, and I'm no longer fit to be called your son. But if you would hire me on as a worker in your home, like, please have me back. And so he gets up, he goes back, and it says that even as he was coming, you know, and he was a long way off, the father saw him, here it is again, felt compassion for him, and then he ran to him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And then there's all these fun things that happen, right? He gets a robe, and he gets a ring, and they throw a party, and they begin to celebrate. Again, showing, showcasing the celebration that happens in heaven when repentance and reconciliation happens in the kingdom of God. And then there's this whole thing about the older brother. And he's out in the field working, and he begins to hear the commotion, so he begins to come back to the house. And he asks one of the servants, like, what's, what's going on? And he gets told, man, your brother's back in town. Like, he's back, and we're throwing him a huge party. And he gets super upset, and the dad has to, like, actually come out to him and have a conversation with him. So I want to look at a couple phrases and verses specifically from that story as well. But if I were to recap and kind of close up what that story tells us in one sentence, I would say it this way. Like, when God throws a party, don't hold a grudge. When God throws a party, don't hold a grudge. So I do find it interesting that we see the same words in the older brother as we saw in the unmerciful. So let's look. We're actually going to go a little bit backwards in this one. This is verse 28. The older brother became angry and was not willing to go in. Isn't that fun? Like that, 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 that they're both there. And I think the first moment in the story that showcases God's grace God's like unmerited favor, what we'd say, or his voluntary generosity. It's in verse 16. For me, this is like my favorite part of the whole story because this is the awakening moment because it says this is the younger son, right? He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. He was in a space like in a different country where there was no generosity. Stuff wasn't being shared. He felt alone. 
And that lack of grace, that lack of lavish giving and thoughtfulness toward others was so obvious to him that he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired men have, here we go, more than enough. That's how it's like at home, right? Oh, I come from a land of more than enough. I come from a land of more than enough. That's the first glimpse of God's incredible generosity and his grace. And then in verse 20, we see, again, the, the, the word compassion. Um, that the, the father felt compassion, and he ran, and he embraced, and he kissed. And then verses 22 and 23. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best, and let's celebrate. Do you see the lavishness of the grace of God? Like it's, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the story. I, w- I would venture to bet a lot of us are very familiar with it. But if you were to take just a moment with this phrase in mind and think about it, man, this is a guy who like asked early for all this money and then went off and spent it. I mean, this is you know, that black sheep of the family. But if it was a real story with real people and real incidences, there would be real hurt here. And yet, in that moment of real hurt, our Father greets us, kisses us, welcomes us, and exclaims, bring out the best. My hope for us is that we will be a people who quickly bring out the best and celebrate. Man, may it be said of the Vineyard Church in Baton Rouge, we know how to party. Right? Like, we know how to party. Have you heard about those guys? They know how to party. Now, not like in a hedonistic way, but in a holistic way. They really celebrate people and their stories and their challenges and God's victories and they go after it. Man, they know how to party. Um, So, okay. I won't put this one up on the screen, but I do think that it's a really um, intentional, because it's peppered throughout the story. And, And I think it showcases what happens when like the father embraces the son as he comes back. But check this out. So, there's moments throughout the story where we see, like, ownership and relationship. So, for example, when he says, get out the best, go get the best, he says, this son of mine has returned. He says, this, this dude belongs to me, right? And then... When the servant goes to the older brother, he says, your brother, this guy belongs to you. But when he's having the conversation with the dad, the older son says, this son of yours. Do you catch that nuance and that difference? There's this ownership, you belong to me, he belongs to you, he belongs to you. There's this, there's this difference. And what I would say to that is, Man, like most everyone can sense the difference between being held at arm's length and being held. Let's be people who hold people. 
It ain't going to be perfect, but man, it could be like a genuine endeavor for us. I want, I've, after reading instead, this is a genuine endeavor for me. If I'm holding people at arm's length, I want to figure out why I want to get it dealt with so I'm free to hold them again. All right, so tapping into the grace and mercy that God has given us and pouring it out this week. In terms of mercy and grace, man, can we reflect on his mercy and receive his grace? So if we are going to know that there's this, there's this divine presence of grace and mercy within us that can grow and form and expand and find its way out of us, first let's reflect on his mercy. I think it's pretty safe to say that, that the servant that was forgiven the debt and then ran out and like looked for somebody who owed him money had a really short memory. So let's not, let's reflect on God's, let's, let's, let's remember what he has erased. And another one of my favorite phrases in the Luke 15 story, in the prodigal son story, is even in talking to the older son, the father says, you've been with me all this time and all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. And so there's that beauty in God's generous grace toward us. Let's reflect on his mercy, remember what he has erased, and let's receive his grace, every beautiful gift that he is pouring into our lives. Number two, man, let's learn to see people through his lens. The heart of God, the grace and mercy of God is after the person, the wholeness of the person, the beauty of the depth of the relationship. And that'll take work. Please hear me, I'm not for a moment saying that we'll be like dismissive of whatever hurts and realities are in between us, but we're determined to dismantle them, to settle them, so that we can have those that God has given us in our lives. And then finally, with that in mind, let's follow the Holy Spirit, because he's going to know the right pace. If the hurt's significant, and it's going to take some time, and we're following him in that pursuit of that relationship, he'll help us. He'll help us know how fast or how slow, how much time it can take. He might even nudge us if we're dragging our feet a little bit, right? But I think this is a way we can begin to tap into the incredible grace and mercy that God has lavishly poured into our lives, connect with it deep in the core of who we are, and begin to see it find its way out in new ways as we live and as we walk together.